Welcome to How Life Changed, a podcast that features stories of real people and how their lives have changed as a result of COVID-19. I'm your host, John Noltner, and I'm glad you could join us. Change is a constant in life, but as a global community, we're now in the midst of unprecedented change as a result of the pandemic, and it's altering our work, home, and community lives in unexpected and profound ways. Each of us will experience this outbreak in our own unique fashion, each of us a single thread woven into the fabric of this historic event. Over the next 30 minutes or so, we'll explore just one of those threads, one person's story, and through that lens, hope to gain some human insight into the bigger picture of what's happening in our world today. Today's episode of How Life Changed is being recorded on Wednesday, April 8th, 2020. Today I'm talking with Jody Ross in Minneapolis, Minnesota, who was tested for COVID-19 on March 18th and received her positive results on March 23rd. Jody, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, how are how are you doing today? Well, I will say overall very well. The sort of hallmark of this illness is it has kind of a relapsing uh, tendency. And so today I'm just a teensy bit tired, um, but um, I've fared very well compared to a lot of my friends who have and, and extended family who've been through this. So um, today's going to be a rest day. Yeah. Well, good. I, um, I wonder if you can walk us through those early days of your process, how you first noticed symptoms, uh, when you were tested, uh, that, that process. Tell us about that. Sure. Well, a week before I um, was diagnosed, I actually had a, just a regular cold. And um, it was, you know, it was one of those things where I chose to stay home um, because I can. I'm a stay-at-home mom. And I, I thought, you know, I just, I just want to keep this to myself, especially with everything that had, was going around. Um, I had that resolved itself within a week. I had a, a lovely four-day weekend um, with no symptoms at all and um, busy running around active. Um, and then on Tuesday, uh, March 17th, I started to have symptoms, which initially felt to me like a sinus infection. And I've had in the past um, history with sinus issues and um, it was burning in my sinuses. Um, but what was different was that um, I had a really runny nose, not like the icky goo that you would have associated with that level of pain. Not, I'm not trying to gross out your listeners. I just want to try to be helpful. Carry on, um, carry on. And uh, so, <laughs> and what was happening was at night, that night, um, I it was almost like a flood of post-nasal drip that actually woke me up out of, out of a sound sleep, very unusual. And um, beyond that, my chest was hurting, which I don't normally have. And I had developed a dry cough. And so uh, also headache. And um, you know what? It was so night and day different from the cold that I had, you know, the week before. And so I communicate regularly with my doctor on via email um, if I need to. And I just thought, you know, let me just check in with my doctor. And and I saw that uh, on the Hennepin County Medical Center, my chart, they had an opportunity to actually 
fill out a questionnaire for COVID-19. And if they thought that you were possibly ill, they would then bring you in for testing. And so um, rather than try to diagnose myself or start Googling a bunch of things, I thought for due diligence, I'll just fill out this questionnaire and then see what they say. So I filled out that questionnaire, went to sleep. Uh, when I woke up, uh, which I woke up much later than I normally would, I had I saw that around three o'clock in the morning, they had issued me an invitation to come in and be tested. I will say that was alarming for me because by at that point, the only people who were really getting tested were even even on the coasts were NBA players, senators, famous people, uh, and people who were very ill. Um, and so I really, I really thought that filling out that questionnaire was going to be just a perfunctory measure that I did for my own um, sense of peace of mind, if you will. And so when they said, come in, come to the blue door, this, and there was a whole protocol, which they sent to me, I thought, oh my goodness, this is serious. So I, I immediately began practicing the best hygiene I knew at the time, which was I wore, I immediately wore, put on gloves when I left my apartment and I, um, you can't see, but I have a big turtleneck on and I pulled that turtleneck up over my face until I got to the car and um, drove myself to the viral ER. I can tell you that here in Minnesota, especially at that particular hospital, um, they had everything so well organized. It was, um, it had kind of a Disney feel where you stopped at stations and, um, so I was immediately issued a mask and then, and then they checked to make sure that I was in fact cleared by the questionnaire. The only way you could go in for testing was to, to have filled out that questionnaire. And then they put me into a waiting area where we were, where the chairs were roped off. So we literally were six feet from each other. And Meaning there um, were a couple of chairs in between people that you couldn't correct. access? Okay. All right. Right. And so they had taped off the chairs so that people would sit separately and I will tell you, I was, I was really scared. And, um, but at that time, and I was actually there for the shift change for the, for the doctors and nurses. And they, at that time they were, um, they seemed very energized. They were also, despite the fact that they were all wearing their, what I've come to know now is that protective gear, um, sort of that head to toe plastic masks. Um, they were very warm and very kind. And I, you know, there's just nothing like a really nice nurse when you're in a bad way. And so um, when I was tested, and I, I just want to tell people that I, f I felt like this was wise. They tested me for influenza. I had had a flu shot, so I was fairly certain that was not what was going on. Also RSV, which I've come to know as some, a, lung a lung issue. And then um, also for the COVID-19. And I, um, they, they, so the tests for those who don't know involve, um, two swabs and, and that they literally insert into your sinus cavity. And I mean, you have no idea how far back that thing goes. It, it was feels like it's the middle of your brain, right? Correct. And they twist that thing for 10, there are two of them and they twist them for 10 seconds each. So, um, I just went to my happy place in my mind <laughs> while that was going on. And then they swab your throat like you, like you, if you've ever had a, um, a strep test and they, they did that. And, right. and I forgot to mention that I also had a low grade fever, like 99.6, just enough to make you feel tired. 
And so when I got there and I explained what was happening, they said, um, the doctor, well, first the nurse said, well, I don't know, this doesn't really sound like the COVID-19, but we're just going to assume you have it. And um, she also, and then I said, well, you know, if maybe this is a sinus infection, could I see a doctor? So I actually, and so the doctor evaluated me also. She was very kind. And, um, and I said to her, doctor, I don't eat anything inflammatory. I don't eat sugars. I don't eat grains. Um, because of my, says I don't eat dairy. Um, I don't eat soy. And yet I am on fire, like burning the whole respiratory tract is literally burning. What is going on? And she said, you're fight. You have a virus. I don't know which one. The best thing any of us can do is not eat inflammatory. Don't eat sugar. Don't eat grains. You know, if you need to, don't eat dairy and get outside and walk if you can, you know, and, and I really took that to heart. Um, I showed, you know, I'm a 50 year old woman. I'm healthy. Um, I take excellent care of myself and I didn't travel anywhere. I got this in Minnesota. Do you have uh, any idea uh, where you got exposed or how you got exposed? There are three places where it could have happened. I had two. Um, I had just two regular appointments at, at two different physicians the week before, and it it could have also been. Um, I, I'm, I like to go dancing, so it could have been. It could have been when I went swing dancing. Um, the truth is, I don't know. And um, the person, and the only, I only danced with two different, um, two different men the night that I went swing dancing, and um, one of them was sick and one of them wasn't. So, and I only danced with the one who was sick once. So, it's possible I got it from him, but it's also possible that it was somewhere else. I can tell you that. I'm really, I was really good about washing my hands before and after every meal, um, before and after every workout, um, before and after every appointment, just as a precaution, because um, I I thought that was probably the best thing I could do. Uh, And for my case, it wasn't. And so. um, When you were at the hospital getting tested, they didn't, they didn't keep you. They sent you home for isolation. Correct. Correct. And that started immediately. So what they said was, we are presuming that you have COVID-19. And then they said, between 3.30 a.m. when they ordered the test, and then about noon the next day when I was actually seen, I think it was Governor Walls had issued um, the the, uh, limitations on who would be tested. And at that time, it was only medical professionals or people who were homeless or the hospitalized. And so the doctor, when I saw the doctor, she said, you know, we took your test. I don't even know if they're going to run it. And I said, I, you know, and I understood, I mean, I'm just, I'm just a mom and, um, and I understand that we have to share the resources that are available. So she said, you are sick with something. We don't know what it is. We're going to have to just assume it's COVID-19. And my biggest concern at that time I have a 16-year-old daughter and um, for, with whom I share joint custody, and I wanted to make sure that I understood the safety measures because I wanted to keep her safe, you know, as, actually as well as her, her dad. And so um, there were some tears at the hospital when I realized that I wasn't going to be able to have parenting time with my daughter um, for at least two weeks. 
And so, um, but they were hospital, you know, they're just, I can't say enough about the doctors and nurses. Um, so professional, walked me through everything. I left with information. Um, and I also, you know, the other thing that was challenging is that I'm an extrovert. And um, so I realized that the people at the hospital were going to be the last human beings that I probably saw for a couple weeks, which seemed very daunting to me. <laughs> um, so I actually, as I was leaving and I had my mask and gloves on and I just thanked each one of the people that I saw personally and said, um, you're going to be the last people I see for a couple of weeks. So God bless you. And, uh, and then I went home and, um, and you and, isolated at home by on, on, on your own. Sure. How did you access, uh, food? How did you get the supplies you needed? Well, um, I was just chatting with a cousin of mine and, um, we were saying how we were sort of agreeing that, um, the, the Miller girls are always prepared and very resilient. So I actually had quite a bit of food ready to go. I'm a batch cooker anyway. So um, I had I had made a, a pot of homemade chicken soup and um, some other things that the truth is I wasn't hungry at all. The only reason that I ate anything was because I realized that if I did need to go to the hospital, I would be driving myself because to get into an Uber or a lift would cause other people to potentially be exposed. So in order to keep my strength up, I would eat, you know, a piece of bacon every couple hours or a handful of, of um, uh, cashews or just something to keep myself going. Um, and mostly just drank water. And um, my symptoms got worse after I was seen. I, I think at the time, people were assuming that the only way that... I th what, what I think was happening was that people weren't seeking medical attention until their fever got to be 101 or higher. And that was a, that's a mistake. As soon, I want to just tell your listeners, as soon as you have a fever, a low-grade fever, that is the time to be in contact with whichever medical professional you trust because they can help guide you. Um, because it, the fever actually got worse uh, I think on day 11 or no day 10, it was, um, it was low grade until then. And then it, it spiked up to 101 and then I haven't had one since. So, um, so it's really important just to, just to be, be in communication with your doctor. And, and so at this point you feel like it's, it's run its course. I mean, I know you said that you, you've got some residual, uh, fatigue that you've got some residual brain fog, I think you called it, but, but do you feel like it's essentially run its course? I do. Um, what I can tell you is that as soon as I was presumptively diagnosed with the COVID-19, I reached out to my doctor uh, and in, through an email to just let her know that um, I was being evaluated by her colleagues and, um, and asking her for any advice she might have as far as self-care. And so... She called the Department of Health, which I will say at the time I was not really happy about because, I mean, I, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen at that point. And so she, the D Department of Health called me and um, I had a lengthy interview with, with a, a, wonder, a very kind woman there. And um, 
they put me on an official isolation schedule at that point. And um, they were very grateful that I had reached out to all the people who needed to know that I had been presumptively diagnosed and uh, that I had already been following all of the protocols that she, by law, you know, had to tell me about. And then um, they began monitoring me daily uh, via email. And then um, I was taken off official isolation after I had three days without fever, with also without the use of any ibuprofen or Tylenol or anything like that. And then two weeks from the date of onset of symptoms. So it, I was released from isolation by the Depart- Minnesota Department of Health on April, uh, March 31st. And so now I'm just doing my best to build strength. I'm very hopeful that my antibodies for my plasma will be used for the um, Mayo Clinic convalescent study. And Can so you tell us I'm, a little bit I more about to, that? Well, I don't have much to say other than as soon as I read about it in the Star Tribune, I immediately reached out to Dr. Joyner, who uh, was listed as the head researcher, and emailed him and uh, offered to donate plasma. At this point, my understanding is they want uh, those of us who have have, have been tested and uh, in, 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 in the COVID-19 was detected, that we be... Um, symptom-free for 14 days. So I'm guessing, and I've, I've, so I've already filled out two surveys, one which was a general one and, and one more detailed. And so I'm hopeful to hear from them by the end of the week. So in the meantime, I'm uh, doing my best to get back to regular. Um, my entire apartment has been, you know, cleaned with Clorox and, uh, which was exhausting. <laughs> and, um, and uh, trying to resume, you know, slow walks and um, obviously practicing the best nutrition I can. And have you had the chance to see your daughter now that you've come out of isolation? Yes, she. Um, so I came out of isolation on March 31st and I spent the next day cleaning for six hours. And, um, you know, I don't know, I'm not even sure how I did that, except, you know, that thing that where moms can lift a car off their kid who's been trapped underneath there. I you think I must have energy. channeled some of that. Yes, yeah. sir, I did. Because I, I, and I just kept asking my, my friends on Facebook, send me energy, send me energy. I got to get this done. I want to, you know, and I, I was raised um, by a family of uh, my, my mom and my, her, my, her sisters were, um, among many cleaning ladies, so I do know how to get it done. So, um, so this place is pretty immaculate. But um, so I was able to see her, and um, you know, she's she's six, so she doesn't really understand that mom had the plague, um, and uh, she just, you know, she just likes to make fun of me. So she. But I did get to see her and I was able to take her on a couple of hikes. Uh, it's important for me to be out in nature and getting fresh air as best I can. And um, like I said, really trying to um, live and just just do regular life as best I can. Yeah, as best as any message. of us can right now. 
Yes, exactly. You know, I was very lucky because um, being a stay-at-home mom, I have a really specific routine that I follow um, with writing and prayer and meditation first thing in the morning. And um, I'm very careful about what I eat. So that takes time to prepare. And then I have my walking schedule. So um, so a lot of that hasn't changed um, right now. Um, I'm mostly interacting with people on Facebook. So I created a journal when I was very ill to try to help people maybe not be so afraid of the unknown. And also to encourage people that if you are home following the quarantine, and I'm sure you are, the best thing you can do is use it as a boot camp for self-care. It totally makes sense that in this time of great uncertainty that we might want to do things like drink more alcohol or eat sugary stuff or whatever it might be. Totally understandable. And at the same time, I would like for everyone to just do everything they can to strengthen their immune system um, by adequate rest, good nutrition, um, out walking or running outside with distance as, as you're able and getting good rest because that's really the best thing we can do. And if we are as strong as we, we can be, if we do become ill, we're much less likely to have to go to the hospital. Um, so the idea is, you know, we, we do what we can to prevent getting ill and then we do what we can to um, not to make it worse. The answer is instead of putting energy into worry, put it into good use, take care of yourself. You know, we need to start thinking of ourselves as precious and worthy of care. One of the things about our world is that we're so busy, you know, and listen, when I don't have my daughter, I have plans single night. I'm going dancing, I'm working out, I'm cooking, I'm seeing friends. And all of those things are really fun and valuable and also distracting. And so um, I'm a 12-stepper for more than 30 years. And one of my sponsors told me a long time ago that um, the real journey is within. And so that's why I do that writing to create space for what is. And even, even with all of the good efforts that I had in place, I still have had grief arise um, and different emotions um, to attend to. And so um, at the same time, I'm encouraged because I've had lots of my um, women who I mentor reach out to me uh, daily. Even when I was sick, I could, I could, I had enough energy to listen for a little bit. And, and um, you know what, that kind of thing is really helpful. So even, even when I was feeling really not good at all, talking to um, a woman who has 30, 30 days of sobriety and who's got kids at home and also working full time and yet she's able to put together a day at a time of sobriety. And part of that is calling me every day. That's an honor and a privilege. And it kept me feeling normal. Yeah, that's important, I think, to maintain those connections, especially when everything else seems uncertain. The, the last, the other thought I wanted to offer is that, you know, we, we talk about the scourge of social media. And if you're not careful, it can be really toxic. But I will say that I, the outpouring of love and support 
and music and laughter and um, prayers from strangers from all over the world um, to this moment humbles me. Um, musicians would, would um, you know, play me a song and record it and put it on my wall. And um, uh, my friend from Finland sent me this beautiful blessing. And so the other thing this illness taught me we need to have a tremendous capacity to give, right? But we also need to allow others to give to us. And so I saw that I was able to receive in a way that I don't know that I had before. And um, well, the one thing I can tell you and that I promised them was that I would make sure to pass it on. And so I get a lot of calls from people as soon as they have anything that seems like a symptom. I get calls and messages and, um, and I'm able to say, call your doctor, call your doctor, share with them what my experience has been, um, and then ask them to please let me know how it went. And that's the least I can do. Well, Jody, I'm so glad that you're feeling better. I'm so glad that you're on a path to healing. And uh, I want to thank you for sharing your story. Are there any last thoughts before uh, we sign off? Any last bits of wisdom you want to share with folks? Mm, I just think um, having gone through this pretty much by myself, um, hug your family. Tell them you love them. And if you know somebody who has this, reach out even just to say, I'm thinking of you, I'm praying for you. Those kind of things mean a lot. And uh, I shall never forget the people who did that for me. Well, thanks, Jody, And thanks again for sharing your story. Keep feeling better. And uh, I hope we get to talk again sometime. I would love that. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for How Life Changed. I'm your host, John Noldner, and I look forward to seeing you next time. How Life Changed is a series produced by A Piece of My Mind a multimedia arts project that uses storytelling to rediscover what connects us. You can find A Piece of My Mind on Instagram at A-P-O-M-M Stories, on Twitter at A Piece of My Mind 1, that's the numeral 1, Facebook and YouTube at A Piece of My Mind. Peace is always spelled out, P-E-A-C-E. And you can find all of those links on our website, apomm.net. That's the acronym for a piece of my mind.net. Listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend to listen too. Together, we'll see the world in new ways, one story at a time.